This reading is taken from John 4, verse 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Back in the day, this was a shocking story. For us, it's probably a familiar tale. But with familiarity often comes complacency. We need to try and revisit this story with first century eyes and a first century heart, 
Firstly, we ask, why? Why was Jesus here? In the previous chapter, we're told that he's been in the Judean countryside where his disciples had been baptising people. This has not gone unnoticed by the Pharisees. And before things could escalate, Jesus decides to move to Galilee. The shortest route to Galilee was through Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place normally avoided at all costs by Jews. And as I'm sure you're aware, there was no love lost between Jews and Samaritans. In religious terms, they were more alike than not. They worshipped the same God, but in different places. They were both waiting for a new prophet like Moses, and they both read the same scriptures, although the Samaritans just read the first five books of Moses. So their hatred and their prejudice have been fed and watered over 700 years, more by historical and racial considerations than from any deep fundamental difference of religion. Jesus was taking a shortcut to Galilee. It was noon. The sun was high in the sky, so it would have been a bit of a scorcher. This is the only place in the Gospels where we hear that Jesus is tired. It's hot. He's tired. He's in need. So he stops by a well. He's in an unfamiliar and hostile land, in the middle of the day, weary from walking, tired and thirsty. His disciples have left him in search of food, so he's alone. This is a very human picture of the man, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't often give much thought to the man, Jesus, and these human needs that he must have had. The fact that he got tired, that he got thirsty, and the fact he needed help. But the next part of the story is remarkable, intriguing and layered with meaning. As he's leaning on the well, maybe wondering how he's going to reach the tantalising, cool, refreshing water deep below him, he glances up and he sees a woman walking towards him. Again, we know at this time and in this culture, a woman's place was behind a man, preferably her husband, and more likely than not, she'd be in the kitchen. Not out walking on her own in the midday sun. All the other women of the village would have got up early that morning, all together, processed to the well, probably had a bit of a gossip sesh on the way. It was a very social activity to do. She wasn't included in that. And just to reinforce the status of women at this time, there was a Jewish prayer that went something like, Blessed art thou, Lord, who has not made me a woman. So, Jesus is approached by a Samaritan, by a woman, and on her own. All of which would have alarm bells going off like crazy for any other normal Jewish man. Give me a drink. That's all he says to her. 
no questions, no preconceived judgment of why she's out on her own. The fact he even talks to her at all is extraordinary. The first hearers of this story by now would be sitting with their mouths open, shocked and confused at the outright dismissal of all the right protocol. What is he thinking? As is often the case with Jesus, we find him where we wouldn't dream of going, to the misfit, to the diseased, to the socially shunned, but always to the most needy and therefore perhaps the most receptive. As I've held this story this week, I've grown to rather like the Samaritan woman. She responds with vivacity. But like many who've been hurt and betrayed and who've fallen off the rails, she's somewhat defensive and suspicious. Her guard is up and her armour is most definitely on. We're going to discover that her life is a series of bad decisions, that she is full of shame and guilt, that she's not only part of a despised minority, she's also rejected by her own people. She is a woman with a broken self-image who has deep down feelings of guilt, of worthlessness, who feels that nobody could ever really love her. I know that in varying degrees, I can identify with that. I wonder if there have been times in your life when you can too. We often put all our coping mechanisms on display when we feel less than, when we feel fearful, when we're in difficult circumstances or there is change afoot. Our barriers go up and we can become unapproachable and maybe a bit prickly. Jesus knows her history as he knows our history. He knew what she needed and he knows what we need as well. He offered it then, he offers it now. He meets her need with honesty and truth. He sees her vulnerability and doesn't judge her because of it, but invites her into a loving relationship. He offers her acceptance. He offers her life. Water gives life. When there is no rain, the land is dry, the crops die, and the people die of hunger. How many days can anyone live without water? Not many. The symbolism here is striking. Jesus came to quench our thirst for presence and for acceptance. The thirst for meaning when we feel confused. He reveals our need for him by gently lifting up our armour so that he can pour in his life-giving water. However, this does depend on a little bit on us admitting our need and our brokenness. And this inevitably leads to vulnerability. This can sound scary. We're so used to being in control, so used to covering up our wounds and our hurts. 
it's surely safer to remain closed, to keep up the lid on our stuff. Yes, it might well be safer. But do we want to be safe? If this means missing out on the adventure of a lifetime, if it means missing out on the plans that God has for us, it comes down to the question of if we want the life that Jesus offers us, one of love, one of acceptance, and one of fullness. Or whether we want to stay behind our masks, our coping mechanisms, pretending that we're fine, but silently struggling with our stuff, whatever that might be. We're all the Samaritan woman. We're all wounded in some way in love and have a history of broken relationships. Many of us hide our difficulties and relationships behind cleverness and power. We crave admiration and do not want to recognise our vulnerabilities. In my own personal experience, like that of the Samaritan woman, the process of surrendering to the one great love is an encounter with compassion and mercy, of infinite gentleness and love. It can be hard work peeling back the layers, but you're never alone, and the risk is so worth it. Jesus offers us transformation, which brings life. It is not a one-time-only decision. It's a daily realigning of our wills through surrender and acceptance. The promise of Jesus to the Samaritan woman and to each of us to become a source of life for others can only come about if we are humble and recognise our poverty and our brokenness and accept ourselves as we are. In times of pressure and in times of great change, we can revert to our old patterns of behaviour of our old patterns of control. It's a very easy and comfortable shoe that fits right back on. And it's especially in those times of great change that we need to stay open to, close to, and available to God and to each other. When we come to God in times of quiet, let us bring all of us to him, all of who we are, Let us not hide or pretend. Let us be aware of who we are and who we're not. We are first and foremost beloved sons and daughters of the living God in whom he is well pleased. We are all individually and as a church on a journey of transformation on a daily basis. God can only work with us if we let him in. As we enter into a time of great change, let us work in union with God. Let us be clear of our dependence on him to lead us forward. Let us not be under any illusion that we are in control. I'd like to end with a prayer by Charles de Foucauld. 
probably said that wrong. The title is The Prayer of Abandonment, and it's a bit of a big one. So as I say to the children, if you want to make this prayer your own, at the end, join with me in saying Amen. So let us pray. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my Father. Amen.